the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. You will probably count on one hand the number of close friendships that you will have in the course of a lifetime. Most of us have many acquaintances and many that we would call friends, but a kind of close friend, the kind of person that you can be completely open and vulnerable, honest with, you have their back, they have your back, you're praying for each other, you're holding each other accountable. Those kind of long-lasting, deep friendships are rare and invaluable. Think about the closest friendship that you have ever had. What brought you so close to that person? What kinds of conversations did you have? What kinds of vulnerabilities did you share with each other? Today, Pastor Gary teaches about David and Jonathan, one of the best examples of friendship that can be found in Scripture. David and Jonathan trusted each other with their lives, and their mutual trust in one another directly contributed to David's survival and coronation as king of Israel. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 1 Samuel chapter 20, let me pray and then we'll dive in. I'll give just a slight recap and then we'll jump right into chapter 20. Father, it is good to be here in your house. We just settle our hearts before you as we just come into your presence, Lord, with thanksgiving. We enter your gates with praise. Fruit of our lips giving thanks for who you are and all that you have done and are doing and shall do. We just want to glorify you, Lord. It's good to come into the house of the Lord just to remind ourselves that you're on the throne, that nothing is too difficult for you. Lord, in all the busyness and chaos of our world, it's just good to be able to come here into your house and to just remove ourselves, just commune with you. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you meet us here. We're two or more gathered. There you are right here in our midst. Be glorified now as we study your word together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, we are picking up here in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we are heading into more and more the life of David, who has been anointed king somewhere around the age of 10 or so, but he will not become king until he's 30. And David's life, we've talked about this, his life is really divided into four phases. The shepherding years were those younger years, the hiding years from Saul 
the fighting years and then the reigning years. And so what we're heading into here into chapter 20 is number two. These are going to be the hiding years for David. He will be on the run from King Saul for some 10 to 15 years. Can you imagine that running really uh, for your life? Because Saul is a very jealous man, he is an envious man, he's an insecure man, he's a paranoid man, he's a demonized man, really in many ways, because the Lord has allowed a distressing spirit to come after Saul, because Saul has consistently disobeyed God, and so God has withdrawn his hand of grace over Saul, even though Saul is allowed to continue reigning as king, God has already determined that David will be his replacement, And so as David rises in popularity and Saul falls in popularity among the nation of Israel, Saul becomes more and more distressed, more and more insecure, more and more jealous of David. And so he will try on many occasions throughout chapter 18 and 19 to literally kill David. It isn't a figure of speech. I mean, he throws his spear, his javelin at David, not once, but three times in an attempt to kill him, and David escapes, but nevertheless, Saul will continue to pursue David for some 10 to 15 years. And so by the time we get here to chapter 20, David is now a man on the run. And it isn't because, again, he's done anything. All he's done is been faithful to the Lord as a young man. He has become, as I said, popular in the eyes of the Israelites because he was the only one who was brave enough to go and fight Goliath and with the Lord's help kill Goliath. And so, you know, you have instant national fame when you are the only one and not even a fighting age in the Israeli army to kill their enemy, Goliath, who represented the whole Philistine people, the whole Philistine army. And so, you know, David is a young man here. He's around 20 years of age by the time we get to chapter 20. Again, he's not even old enough to join the Israeli army. But he is extremely popular among the people, and as Saul's popularity wanes, Saul becomes that much more enraged and jealous toward David. Now, one of the things that David has going for him, besides, of course, what is obvious, the Lord is for him, because David is a young man after God's heart. David also has Saul's son, Jonathan, going for him, because they have a strong friendship. It is completely platonic friendship. But they have a strong friendship which will help as a buffer between angry King Saul and a young David. There is Jonathan, Saul's son, to kind of run interference and to help de-escalate things. And so Jonathan is going to be an instrumental person in this relationship between Saul and David as this transition slowly begins to happen. Again, you know, the prophet Samuel has anointed David to be the next king of Israel, but it won't materialize from the time that David was anointed until he actually becomes king, some 15 to 20 years. And so there's a lot that God is going to teach David in the waiting. You know, when when you think about why would God have David to be anointed at such a young age, but he doesn't actually become king until he's 30. And you have to consider the fact that there is... There are lessons to learn in the waiting. How many of you understand that? You know, there are some things that in your life, as you are waiting on the Lord and waiting on the Lord, and you're wondering, why doesn't this happen? Why doesn't that happen? And I've been praying about this. I've been praying about that. There are lessons to learn in the waiting. And God is going to continue to work on David and shape him to make him more and more into the man that will eventually lead a nation. 
but there is much preparation work that has to be done in young David's heart before he is at a place where he is ready to lead a nation. And so this is where we left off right here. It's David is on the run. The end of chapter 19, there was this peculiar thing that happens where Saul, as he gets wind that David has gone down to seek counsel from the prophet Samuel. Samuel's still around, but he doesn't have a major role at this point. Uh, David has gone down to Ramah to seek counsel. That's where Samuel was living. When Samuel finds out that David's life is in jeopardy, they scoot on over to another town called uh, Naoth. Saul gets word of this. He sends three different messengers to find David, specifically to kill him. He sends them on a mission to kill David. But every time these messengers get near Samuel and uh, Samuel's young students who are also learning to be prophets... These messengers get filled with the spirit and they start prophesying and Saul's like, I've had enough of this. And he goes down himself and the same thing happens to him. The spirit of God comes upon Saul and he begins to prophesy. Now he wasn't seeking the Lord. This is just the Lord's way of helping David escape by putting Saul on his face to recognize that there's only really one king, Saul, and you're not it. And so Saul, filled with the spirit, he takes off his royal robes. The Bible says at the end of chapter 19 that he was naked, but it really doesn't necessarily mean buck naked. It means that he probably had on a linen undergarment. But nevertheless, he falls on his face before God, and he is just, you know, broken for the moment. He's a man who was very unspiritual until he needed to be spiritual. So this is that scene. And while Saul is on his face before God, overcome by the spirit, David then escapes. Chapter 20, verse 1. Then David fled Naoth in Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And so Jonathan said to him, By no means you shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Now, Jonathan's in a little bit of denial here because Jonathan doesn't want to believe that his father would actually try to kill David, especially after the fact that back in chapter 19, verse 6, Jonathan confronted his dad about this and said, listen, David is not deserving of death. He's a hero in Israel, and you're just jealous. And he, and he really confronts his father, and his father promises back in chapter 19, verse 6, okay, all right, I won't kill David. And so Jonathan assumes that his father meant what he said because, you know, our word should be our bond, but not in Saul's case. And so Saul actually was out to kill David, but Jonathan can't believe it. So he's just like, no, 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 no. And besides, if he were going to try to kill you, I'd know about it. I'm his son. Well, the next verse, verse three, and then David took an oath again and said, your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. And so David basically says to Jonathan, of course your dad's not going to tell you because he knows that we're best of friends. And if he tries to harm me, it'll grieve you. So he's not going to tell you because he knows that it would hurt you, that you'd be mad about this. And David says, but I can tell you, there's just but a step between me and death. Now, is he being dramatic there? No, not really. I mean, the fact is that for all of us, we should live our lives in this kind of an awareness, a constant awareness that we're just but one step away. I mean, who knows? We're not guaranteed tomorrow, friends. 
Like, we have to have this constant awareness. And I'm not talking in a morbid way. I just mean with an awareness that there's no guarantee for tomorrow. we we got to make sure we're right with God today. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And we should never take for granted that we will have tomorrow. There are plenty of people who thought they had tomorrow, then they didn't. And David especially is at a place where, look, there's somebody hunting him down like a wild animal. And so he's much more aware of the fact that his life is kind of hanging in the balance. But we should all really be living in a healthy kind of a way with that realization that none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Do you say that you love your spouse and your kids as often as you possibly can because sometimes does it ever cross your mind like maybe I won't see you tomorrow? Who knows? Nobody knows these things. And so we should always live under that constant awareness that every day is a gift and we should love our family and our friends and not take a day for granted. Well, in David's case, he has even more reason to be Concerned, And verse 4 says, So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. And David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. And if he says thus, it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, then kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? Okay, so David comes up with this plan. He hatches with Jonathan. And he says, okay, here's the thing. Here's how we can test whether or not your dad really wants to kill me. And he says, tomorrow is the new moon. Now, the new moon in Hebrew was, is just simply referred to as Rosh Kadesh. Rosh Kadesh just meant it's the beginning of a new month. There would be a new moon, uh, the beginning of each month, and that was a time in the Bible where prophets sought the Lord in particular. It was treated much like a Sabbath in terms of it being a day of consecration. And so David says, you know, tomorrow's the new moon. It's a special day on the calendar, the first of the month. I've been recruited into your father's court, which is true. And so he's expecting me to be at dinner. And I tell you what, I'm not going to come to dinner. And I'm going to stay away for three days. And if your dad is curious and asks, where is he? I want you to make up. This is what he says to Jonathan. Come on, you're my best bro, right? And so I want you to lie for me. That's what he says. He says, I want you to lie for me. Make up a story. Tell your dad that you gave me permission to go to Bethlehem, which is where I'm from, he says, and that I have some kind of an annual thing to attend with my family and just cover for me. And if your dad's okay with that, and he's like, okay, well, no big deal, then I will know that it's going to be okay and he's not really trying to kill me. If, on the other hand, he's angry that I'm not there around the table, then you know. So they come up with this scheme. They hatch this plan. And, you know, again, look, David is, he's got feet of clay like the rest of us. So, you know, he's coming up with a lying scheme here. And so he's not a perfect man. 
but he's trying to, you know, save his skin here. And so Jonathan said in verse 9, but Jonathan said, far be it from you, for if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Because David made him promise. David's like, you know, you have to promise. I've made a covenant with you. Like, we're best friends here before God. And so, you know, you have to be sure to tell me. And Jonathan's like, of course I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you my dad's reaction. I'm not going to hide this from you. Well, David said to Jonathan, Verse 10, who will tell me or what if your father answers you roughly or some translations say harshly. And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. And so both of them went out into the field. And then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow, okay, I'm, I'm going to you know, get a feel for what he thinks, or the third day. And indeed, there is good toward David, and I do not send to you and tell you, well, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. You know, like if I hide this from you, then God's going to get me on this, I promise. He says, but if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety, and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. That's an interesting statement because See, Jonathan realizes that his dad is not really walking with the Lord. But at the same time, he realizes that that doesn't necessarily mean God has abandoned his father. You know, there are times that we dishonor the Lord and God is still faithful to us. There are times that we are unloving to the Lord and he's still loving. We are unfaithful and he's still faithful. And so Jonathan realizes his dad has drifted from the Lord. And Jonathan realizes that God's hand is upon David. And he, in as much as saying, you know, listen, I totally support you taking over the throne, even though Jonathan was in the rightful place to take over his father's throne, Jonathan understands what is happening here. His family's disintegrating. And it's because dad is not walking with the Lord. Do you know how many households will go the way of the Lord or not, depending on how dad is going? When dad walks with the Lord, most often the family walks with the Lord. When dad is not, it sends a terrible example, and it's harder for the rest of the family. And so Jonathan realizes, my dad's not walking with the Lord. He says, but nevertheless, the Lord has been with him. And Jonathan says, and I know the Lord is with you, David. Verse 14, and you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. You shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. Now, what he means by that is it was common in those days when there was a change between one royal family to another versus just a descendant within that same royal family taking over the throne. When there was a complete change of royal families, it was typical in those days for the succeeding royal family to kill off anyone from the previous royal family so that there would be no potential for some heir to try to reassert himself to the throne. So that was typical. And Jonathan realizes, you might be inclined to kill me when you become king and take over as the royal line. You might be inclined to kill me. And he says, I want you to promise... I'm your best friend. You got to promise you're my best friend. I'm going to find out from dad what he's up to, but you have to promise me no matter what happens in the future, you will show kindness to me and you won't kill me. You won't cut me off. 
And so verse 16, and so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. And then the next verse says, now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. And we talked quite a bit about this. I'm not going to go back over it again, but in chapter 18, when we first are introduced to this friendship that is between Jonathan and David, I'll just mention it again, probably for the last time, but this is a relationship that the homosexual community has hijacked the narrative on and wants you to believe, and even liberal theologians, that somehow David and Jonathan had some kind of a gay relationship going on here. That's not what is happening. I've already broken down the words with you in previous studies back in chapter 18. But it is a very strong bond between two warriors who have deep love, admiration, and respect for one another. And this is going to be the takeaway from all of chapter 20. I'm throwing this principle up in the middle of this chapter because it only continues with the same theme. And that is that loyal friendship is a rare and invaluable gift. And I mean that in both ways. That it is a rare and invaluable gift that you can offer another. And it is a rare and invaluable gift that someone can offer you. You will probably count on one hand the number of close friendships that you will have in the course of a lifetime. Most of us have many acquaintances and many that we would call friends, but a kind of close friend, the kind of person that you can be completely open and vulnerable, honest with, you have their back, they have your back, you're praying for each other, you're holding each other accountable. Those kind of long-lasting, deep friendships are rare And invaluable. And the Bible tells us so. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Like, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure that everybody here could probably remember some person in your life that you thought was a friend, but then when hard times came, they bailed and you found out they weren't really your friend. And, you know, sometimes those difficult things are an opportunity to really prune who really is a legitimate friend and who isn't. Because a friend loves at all times. And a brother or sister, someone who's like family to you as a friend, will be there through adversity. And those are your true friends. You end up finding out who your true friends are when you're going through the worst of times. It's easy for people to love you when you're lovely. But when they love you when you're unlovely, when you're down and out, when you have nothing, those are some true friends. Proverbs 18.24, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Of course, that ultimate friend we have is in Christ. He's the one that sticks closer than any human being. But friendships are things that God wants us to experience, and yet they are often very rare. The kind of deep, close friendships that you see happening here between Jonathan and David. And again, as I pointed out, there's anywhere from 20 to 30 year age difference between David and Jonathan too. Jonathan was really a generation older than David. So it transcends age, it transcends you know backgrounds or dynamics or whatever might be a part of your life that God can sometimes bring people together. And it's a God thing that when he initiates a genuine, wholesome, healthy friendships. And so... That's what you see happening here, and it's this whole chapter, really. So let's carry on reading, verse 18. And then Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. 
And when you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you had on the day of the deed and remain by the stone Ezel. So apparently there was this big stone that was, they named it and they knew where it was. And so that's going to be the, the meetup location. And he says, when I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target and there I will send a lad saying, go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, look, the arrows are on this side of you, get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. And as for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed, the Lord be between you and me forever. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of a king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, but still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.